like to join in with Sean and say it's good to see everyone here this evening and hope everyone had a really good afternoon because it was really beautiful out there. You know, John got up here this morning and gave us a bit of wisdom from a young child and their point of things. We take the charger away from Putin's car, he can't drive it and we'll charge it up. Well, my grandkids were at Bass Pro Shop Friday. When they got in there, their mama said, now you boys hold our hands, and there's not going to be no running around. If anybody knows Will, he's got to run. So Logan, Logan looks over at Will and says, now Will, you better listen to what they say, because if you don't, somebody will grab you, kill you, stuff you, and they're going to hang you on the wall just like they have all these animals around here. So you better behave. I love the way they just put it right out there, don't you? <laughs> I don't know if he run or not, but I could see him hanging on a wall. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to talk about for a few minutes is how many times have we ever seen anybody take a verse, just one verse, not truly understand it, read it, try to teach it, or they're teaching it wrong, or Sometimes they'll take it and twist it around to make it fit their own ideals so they can do what they want and justify what they do. I think that happens a whole lot. For me, one of the examples would be like in, uh, that I see a lot is in uh, Acts 2 and 21. You can find it in Romans 10, 13, and also in Joel 2, 32. And it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if I just looked at that verse, I'd think, that sounds really good. It could give me a lot of comfort to know that if I want to be saved, all i got to do is call on the Lord. But how many people will take the time to truly study and try to understand that verse? When I read something for myself, I've always got to know the who, what, when, and where, and why, so I can understand what's being said. Because I learned a long time ago, you can't take something just by what you read it. Well, if you studied that verse really good, you'd realize you have to call on the name of the Lord. Well, in order to do that, you call on his name, then you've got to find out what he wants you to do. Because you're calling, recommend him, and you're going to obey him. Then you've got to find out what he means, what you've got to do to obey then you have to learn to do that. And it goes on and on till we learn what we really have to do to be saved. There's more to it than just calling on his name and getting his authority for it. We all know that. But so many people, they don't want to take the time to study it. They just, oh, it sounds good, I'm going to use it like that. I think another one that a lot of people get twisted around a lot is like, you can find it in John 2, 1 through 11. You can talk to people about when they go out drinking stuff. And I've had a lot of people tell me, well, Jesus drank, didn't he? Didn't he turn water into wine? So he must have drank, so there's nothing wrong with it. Well, how many people has ever looked up the definition of what wine was back in that time? Once again, the who, when, where, and what. Mostly, wine was considered like grape juice. 
different forms of grape juice, the way they make it, different strengths. Sure, he turned water into wine, but does it say it was fermented wine? No, it just said it turned it into wine. Could have been a real good grape juice. You can go to the store and buy a different flavor of grape juice. So we can't justify that by just using that verse alone. We have to continue looking and studying to find out what's going on. But the one I see a lot lately, I've read it a lot on the internet, and I see a lot of people saying it's one I want to talk about for a second. And it's in Matthew 18 and 20. It says, For where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I know up to about 13 years ago, I used to think, well, if two people got together, they can worship, and God will be there with them. And there's a lot of people today that think that has a lot to do with getting together for worship. But that verse really don't mean nothing about coming together for worship. If it did, then we'd have to have at least two people every time we worship somewhere. And if you know the true meaning of the word worship, we can worship individually by ourselves. But then if that's what this meant, we couldn't do that no more. So let me explain why I'm saying that. Well, I know we can worship by ourselves because we can see many times where Jesus himself, such as in Luke 15, 16, Luke 16, 12, Mark 6, 45 through 46, Mark chapter 135, and many other verses where he went off to himself, prayed to his Father. And we go off and we pray and we talk to God, we are worshiping. But as we see, he was doing it by himself. Nobody else around. And in fact, in Matthew 6 and 6, he even instructs us sometimes that we need to go off and pray by ourselves. Why is that? Well, like prayer we had here a while ago. If a person's standing up here praying, he's not praying just for himself. I believe he's praying on behalf of everybody here. So you've got to be careful what you say. You can't just pray for yourself. You've got to overlook everything and make sure everything's okay with everybody. But if we go off to ourselves, that gives you the opportunity, just like it did Jesus, to say what you truly feel in your heart when you talk to God. There's nobody around to interrupt you. Whatever's bothering you, whatever you want to thank him for, your problems, worries, or whatever, you have the opportunity to get it out. It's like my doctor told me one time when I told him I have a lot of trouble with my nerves. And as I was growing up, I never had nobody to talk to. So I always kept everything to myself. And unfortunately, I'm still that way. But he said, get off to yourself where nobody can hear you, see you, and just have at it. Get it out of your system. It really works. That's the way it is when you get off to yourself and talk to God. You can get what you truly want out and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation that you need sometimes.
Now, that don't mean we have to do it by ourselves all the time, but it's a good way to start right there. So, if this verse doesn't mean it has to do with worship, what does this verse really have to do with? Well, true meaning behind the verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, no, wrong place, sorry. For where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst. It actually has to do with church discipline and how you discipline someone. And we all know that Jesus gives us the uh, examples on how to deal with this, such as if I have trouble with somebody and I know they're sinning and I go and talk to them and they don't listen or want to hear what I got to say or try to repent from it, well, then I'm to come back, find somebody to go with me as a witness, and then we go talk to them again. If it still is a problem that's unresolved, then we take it to the elders, and then the elders go and try to take care of it. So when you talk to someone like that, then Jesus says, okay, when you pray on it, I'll be with you. What he's really doing is taking uh, one of the laws. He's referring to an old law in uh, Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning an iniquity or any sin that he commits. But the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. He's saying that if I complain about somebody and then they go talk to them, then it's my word against his. How are you going to justify who's telling the truth? If I go get some witnesses and they can verify what I'm telling is the truth, and then you got two or three more to back you up, then something can be done. Well, he's referring to this law that Moses had that with the witnesses, then you can take care of the situation. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's saying, if you got your witnesses and you're doing this according to the way I plan it, I am with you also. He will back you up because he knows you're doing right. And in doing it this way, then we can verify the repentance or impentance of a Christian who is guilty of sin. And then we take the steps that he tells us to. One of the reasons we do this is because it's our responsibilities to take care of the church. We can't allow just anyone or anything to come in. We have to protect it. And when we do it properly, he's there with us. There's a lot of other verses that I've read and looked up and studied that a lot of people misunderstand or use the wrong way. Fortunately, some people, they just misunderstand it because they don't study, take the time to look at it. But some people will take them and use them to apply to their lives so they can continue doing what they want to instead of changing their lives to fit the words. That's why it's important for us to truly study and understand what we're reading. Like I've said, the who, what, why, when, and where. That way we may not make a mistake.
Now, we're not going to always be right, but we can do our best to correct our mistakes when we do make them. Tonight's singing night, so I'm cutting this short. What I'm saying is truly study. Understand what you're reading. Anybody can look at something and read the words. But the words don't mean nothing if you don't take them in and understand what they're saying. We have to know what they're saying to make it right. 